0: This is an ABC podcast. I don't actually wear it. It's just because I stay in it for too long. If I forget to wear a pull-up, I wake up, call my mum and dad. They change my bed because it's wet. Let's be honest, having a child who regularly wets the bed is a frustrating, worrying, logistical headache. And can I say this because I was a chronic bedwetter until I was eight years old and so was one of my sons. Changing sheets in the middle of the night, battling the elements to get them washed, dried, back on the bed, only to be wet again the following night. All of it is just so challenging. But It's also something that just makes parents worry and doubt themselves and wonder, why isn't this happening to anyone else I know? Hello, I'm Maggie Dent, and in this Parental As Anything, I'm here to tell you that wetting the bed is normal and way more common than you think. As your child grows up, if they regularly wet the bed, it can be upsetting for kids and their parents. You might be frustrated and desperate for an answer as to why it keeps happening, but it's really, really important that your child doesn't feel ashamed and that you struggle with guilt every single day. And that's what I want to help you with today. Dr Megan Yap is a paediatrician who specialises in general developmental and behavioural paediatrics. Megan, let's start by clarifying that bedwetting in general that doesn't require any medical attention is within the realms of normal.
1: Yes, absolutely. So bedwetting is very, very common. As many as one in three kids still wet the bed when they're four years of age. And that goes down to about one in 10 by the time they're six. So about the time they're in grade one. And then it goes down again to about one in every 20 by the time kids turn about 10 to 11. The vast majority of kids have no long lasting problems from their bedwetting at all. And my advice to parents would just be to go with the flow and don't even worry about nighttime toilet training if your child is under six years of age.
0: Oh, I can hear a palpable sigh of relief (laughs) from some parents right now. (laughs) Okay, so every parent who has a child unable to stay drive overnight is really wanting your answers to the next big question, Megan, and what are some of the reasons that children keep wetting the bed?
1: All right. There are heaps of different reasons why kids can potentially wet the bed. There are younger kids and older kids, and I guess there are some reasons that are more prevalent in older children than in younger children. But essentially, older and younger children only differ in that it's more physiologically normal or physiologically due to neurological immaturity. And they don't have the hormone that stops them from producing urine. And then the causes otherwise, whether they're disease-causing or non-disease-causing, are essentially the same. The huge take-home message from today should be that bedwetting is a hugely common problem. And perhaps this fact alone is a testament to that in the vast majority of cases, it's completely developmentally normal. Kids generally don't brag about the fact that they wet the bed to their classmates, but more often than not, kids are not alone in that they still wet the bed. So some of the more common causes of wetting the bed include kids' nervous systems develop at different rates. And in some kids, it takes them longer to reach maturity and the bladder can't yet signal to the brain to wake up to go to the toilet. Genetics plays a really big part. So if a child has two parents who both wet the bed as children, there is a greater than 75% chance that their child will also have bedwetting. And this decreases to 40% if it's just one of the parents that had bedwetting. And the background risk in the overall population is about 15% if neither parent wet the bed low levels of a particular hormone that I was referring to before called ADH, which stands for antidiuretic hormone. It's a hormone that's secreted by the pituitary gland, a little gland inside your brain, and it suppresses urine production while you're asleep. If you don't have enough of that particular hormone, your body determines this by specific genes. Then if you don't have enough of it, your body continues to produce urine, causing the bladder to become full. And that level of secretion of the ADH is determined by specific genes. So if you're not producing enough, that can be genetically inherited as well. Another really common one is that kids just have small bladder capacity. If your bladder can't hold very much, they're more likely to need to wee during the night. If you've got a kid who sleeps really deeply and they're difficult to wake up, They're less likely to rouse when the bladder tells their brain to wake up and go to the toilet. And it's probably one of the most common ones that I see in clinic is constipation. And what? the reason, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Never and a lot of, of this one. <laughs> yes, and a lot of people haven't. But essentially, if you think about the anatomy, and I guess a lot of people aren't familiar with the anatomy of the body, but the rectum, which is the last part of your intestine, that sort of where the poo sort of sits before you go to the toilet to void, is just behind where the bladder is situated. And if it's distended and really full, like it is when you're constipated, you can imagine that mass is pressing on the bladder and it actually reduces the volume of urine that the bladder can hold and it means that the child needs to go to the toilet more often. And I guess sleep problems as well that make children more tired and difficult to wake can also contribute to nighttime bedwetting.
0: Wow, that was fascinating. Thank you so much. Um, Now, I was a chronic bedwetter until around eight, and so was one of my lads, so he can now blame me. But one of the things, how it was handled back in the 50s was seriously not very pleasant. So can you go through some of the pros and cons to the common ways that parents can handle this, knowing that it is worrying and it is stressful and it can be really frustrating to have to change a bed in the middle of the night. So is there a problem with using pull-ups or waking a child and all those sorts of strategies?
1: Okay, so two very common strategies to sort of combat bedwetting. Pull-ups we'll deal with first, so super duper common. The pros, of course, of using a pull-up is that the child won't wet the bed they'll wet the pull-up, which means they're not going to wake up through the night. You're not going to wake up through the night and everybody in the house is going to get a full night's sleep. I guess the cons, your child doesn't realise they're wet. These nappies these days Mm. are designed to wick the moisture away so quickly that the child actually doesn't really feel wet at all for any amount of time. This prolongs the toilet training process because they actually don't wake up. When we talk about waking a child to empty their bladder, I guess the pros of doing that would be there's less chance that they'll have to urinate during the night because you're starting with an empty tank, so to speak. The technique won't cure bedwetting, but it gives the child a better chance of keeping the bed dry through the night. Also, I guess you lose less sleep because you're waking them before you go to bed. And then if you are consistent enough and you keep doing it for long enough, even heavy sleepers are able to change their sleeping pattern and they will eventually wake themselves and go to the toilet if they need to.
0: One tip I read, Megan, was to let them wet their sheets rather than using pull-ups. What would be the benefit of that if they continue to wet most nights for months or
1: even years? Look, I think it really depends on your level of tolerance. With respect to persevering over a certain amount of time, when I talk to parents about things like bedwetting alarms... Uh, which is one of the strategies that we use to help toilet train at night. It's a bit similar to the wet the sheets method, but when the child starts to urinate, an alarm goes off and it wakes them up. I always advise parents to persist with that method for about six to 12 weeks. If you don't get any joy, yeah, if you don't get any joy in that time, I say take a break, let everybody in the house get a good night's sleep try again at some later stage. Some kids need several cycles of toilet training before Mm. you get a lasting effects. The other really important thing to do almost sounds counterintuitive and that is to make sure that your child drinks enough throughout the day. The reason for this is it helps to increase their bladder's holding capacity but withholding drinks doesn't actually really help your okay. cause. All right. um, and I guess for those parents who are doing this forever and ever, one really fantastic trick I learnt from my sister of all people when I was toilet training my daughter is to double or even triple make the bed. So, you know, having to pull the sheets off and wiggle around the side of the bed and get the new sheet on, what we did is we used to use these things called brolly sheets, which have a sort of soft top and a plasticized bottom so that the urine doesn't leak through onto the mattress but essentially double making the bed involves a fitted sheet a brolly sheet which is one of the waterproof sheets another fitted sheet over the top of that and then another brolly sheet which means that in the middle of the night if your child wets instead of having to pull everything off and remake the bed you just pull off the top sheet and brolly sheet and the bed
0: is perfectly made for you underneath that is pure gold now Megan, as a parent who had a bedwetter, I know how easy it is to feel really really guilty that we've somehow rather failed our kids if they consistently wet the bed. So what would you say to those parents to reassure them that everything's okay?
1: Look, it is a really difficult thing to stop a child from wetting the bed. Some of the reasons why children wet the bed are completely out of your control. And yeah. honestly, you shouldn't worry about it unless your child is embarrassed about it and asks you for help guilt is such a wasted emotion. It makes everybody feel bad. It doesn't achieve anything. And similarly, getting angry with your child and or punishing him or her for wetting the bed only adds pressure to stay dry when they actually can't help it. And it just makes the problem worse. So don't feel guilty. Just get on with it
0: we know that obviously if we have a child who's wet the bed, the more positive way that we react is great. But can we muck it up if we get too excited when they wake
1: up dry? Can you give us some (laughs) suggestions here? If a kid wakes up dry, then it's great to celebrate the milestone. It can motivate children who are actually awake when they need to go to the toilet, but are actually too lazy to get up and they just lie in bed and wee in the bed. But yeah, look, if they wet the bed, Don't make a big deal out of it. Just change the sheets and get on with it. And if they wake up dry, absolutely celebrate the milestone because they need to feel proud of themselves.
0: So is there any bedwetting in younger children, let's just say under five, that should be a cause for concern for parents?
1: Uh, Yeah. So there are some medical causes of bedwetting and also daytime wetting as well, Uh, like urinary tract infections. We mentioned before constipation, diabetes, Uh, you can get pelvic floor muscle dysfunction. So it is really important that if your child is wetting the bed or wetting during the day that you seek medical attention to exclude causes that are treatable. Mm -hmm. Generally, if your child is very upset by their bedwetting, then take them to see a doctor. Medical interventions for bedwetting don't usually work well in children under the age of six. And as we mentioned before, it's developmentally normal. And in any case, most of the children under this age become dry in their own time without any intervention at all. If your child is having other symptoms occurring in the context of their bedwetting, for example, if they're constipated, if they're soiling, if they're wetting their pants through the day, if they're drinking an excessive amount during the day, if they've had any unexplained weight loss or an increase in their urge or frequency to go to the toilet to wee during the day. These are all reasons why you might need to see a doctor earlier rather than later. So...
0: What we have noticed is that times of major stress can impact our little ones, particularly things like transitioning to big school. And many little ones have regressions and sometimes they return to bedwetting, even though they have been dry for some period of time. Mm-hmm. What suggestions might you have for those parents? Because it's obviously a temporary kind of setback, yes?
1: Yes, Mostly. When a child has been dry for a period of time, whether it be months or years, usually for a minimum period of six months, and then they start to wet again, we call this secondary nocturnal enuresis. So by the age of 10, up to 8% of kids will develop secondary nocturnal enuresis. A family history of bedwetting is found in about 50% of kids that have that recurrence of their bedwetting. Mostly give them a little bit of time, see if it settles. But if you're worried... Uh, and you present after a period of time and it hasn't resolved, it would be a trigger for me, if you saw me in clinic, to investigate a little bit more thoroughly for some medical causes and take a really thorough history to find out what's been going on for that child at that particular time that might have caused that regression.
0: My son is 10 and still wets the bed. It's not a nice experience for any of us, but particularly him. He was really scared to go to school camp recently because he can't fit pull-ups anymore. We've spoken to our GP who just said, you know, you guys all just have to relax. He'll grow out of it. My seven-year-old, she started wetting the bed sometimes up to three times a night. We took her to a urinary incontinence GP who was excellent and really sensitive and empathetic and basically her message was, don't make a big deal out of it, put her in a pull-up. While the pull-up is still wet every morning, at least she's not freaking out
1: about it and we're not washing load after load of sheets. There was a lot of
0: changing sheets and washing, I guess, but yeah, we didn't make him feel abnormal
1: for it, but it, it did eventually stop.
0: Megan, you've touched on some options and tips, bedwetting alarms and not using pull-ups as much. What Mm -hmm. other options are available?
1: So bedwetting alarms, definite first point of call. And in fact, quite a few of the medications that we prescribe for bedwetting are only subsidised by the government if you fail the trial to a bedwetting alarm first. And a lot of people don't realise that. So... Medications is the other thing I suppose that we tend to commonly use to help children with their bedwetting. There are a few different types. It's really important to note that most kids don't need to take them. If you are considering a medication, it's definitely something that needs to be discussed and instituted by your doctor probably the most common situation where I end up prescribing medications for kids is when they have used a bedwetting alarm. It's been somewhat useful and they're mostly dry, but they're worried about going for a sleepover at a friend's place or on a school camp. And they're really worried about wetting the bed while they're away.
0: And that was an absolute gift for one of my sons on a school camp. And um, I must admit, he was pretty crushed when he came back home and he wasn't on the medication and everything went back to normal. Because of course, it just felt so good for him to wake up and drive beds. He thought it was America and was really cross that I just didn't keep medicating him.
1: Oh, yeah, it's, it's a shame. Like for a lot of kids, even when they take the medication for a period of time, usually at least three months, when you take medication away, it doesn't actually stop them from wetting the bed. Are there any
0: alternative treatments that have any evidence that they support it, whether it's meditations, hypnotherapy, acupuncture or kinesiology? Is there anything else that might be a thing to consider, even though, you know, we're listening to your common sense advice?
1: Okay, there. I, guess, I think there are actually two different questions in there. So if the question is, is there any evidence, to be fair, there really isn't any. But I guess if a meditation or some sort of relaxation therapy helps a kid to relax and chill out a bit, common sense tells you that it may work. But when it comes to my practice and people coming to me with bedwetting as an issue, I have to stick with evidence-based medicine. And, yeah, unfortunately, there's no hard and fast evidence to demonstrate that alternative therapies like hypnotherapy or kinesiology are any more effective than placebo.
0: Now, how do we help our kids with the shame and embarrassment that they might feel about wetting the bed?
1: Look, I think it's really important to talk to your child about how they feel about their bedwetting. For some kids, it actually doesn't worry them at all. And if you bring it up with them and you try to talk to them about it, it might cause them to think that it's a really big deal. If they are a kid who volunteers that they feel shame around wetting the bed, I think it's really important to just normalise it for them. Let them know that they're not alone. Kids very commonly wet the bed, but their friends are probably just not telling them about it. Explain to them that it's not something that they can control and give them the facts in terms that they can actually relate to. So, you know, we've been talking about all these statistics, 10% of kids still wet the bed. It means for your child, in their class of 25 to 30 kids, about two or three of their classmates will still be wetting the bed. So for them, it makes them realise, actually, you know, I'm not the only one.
0: Yeah. And also, my parents still love me, even if I wet the bed. Seriously. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
1: <laughs> they might be a little bit annoyed that they have to get up a couple of they times. They get a bit frustrated,
0: but they really do still love me. <laughs> Absolutely.
1: Absolutely.
0: <laughs> okay, Megan, so give a really positive message of hope to the parents out there that think there's no end in sight for this bedwetting phase.
1: I always say to parents, and I get a lot of parents that come in, and they're just exhausted because they're getting up multiple times during the night and changing sheets, etc. So I give them my double, triple, make the bed tip, and then I say to them, this too shall pass. Do whatever you've got to do to get yourself through it. Do not punish yourself. Do not punish your child. If it means you know, for your sanity, that you need to use pull-ups for a period of time so that everyone, including yourself, can get a good night's sleep, then so be it. You know, don't berate yourself about that. Don't be too hard on yourself. Try a bedwetting alarm for six to 12 weeks. If it doesn't work, have a break. Try again a bit later. It does take some kids a few cycles. Don't feel guilty it wastes your energy and your energy can be far better directed towards much more productive and happy activities.
0: That you can actually influence. Thank you so much. I just wish you'd been around when I was having my (laughs) issues. Thank you so much.
1: (laughs) Thanks so much for having me. It's been a real pleasure.
0: Well, I seriously hope that after listening to Megan, you can put your mind to rest if you have a serious bedwetter. And even if you're still being woken up every single day, Night. I was really surprised how common bedwetting is and the different reasons for why it happens. And who would have thought constipation could be a possible cause? I love that tip about making up the bed with a couple of sets of waterproof sheets to save you having to make the bed in the middle of the night. That would have been really helpful for me. And as a recovered bedwetter, I can affirm Megan's message that we need to reassure our kids who struggle that they are not alone. And it really will pass in time. And that together we will manage it. Please tell them you still love them the same as their non-bedwetting siblings. And most importantly, like Megan said, just do what works for you while it's working for you. For most kids, just as with any phase of childhood, this too will pass. Now, if you're looking for something to inspire your littleies and get them thinking about the world, check out some of the podcasts we have for kids. Two of my absolute favourites are Fierce Girls, which is all about the Aussie girls who dared to do things differently, and Short and Curly, a really great ethics podcast that's fun for kids and parents. You can find Fierce Girls and Short and Curly and all of the other great ABC podcasts on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts. Next time, how to help your child if they're questioning their gender.
1: It would be distruthful for me to say that I'm perfectly fine now, but I definitely say that a lot of my sort of discomfort has been alleviated. I don't feel as isolated and as alone. I feel like I'm not quite living a a lie or,
0: you know, I'm living something that's wrong. That's next on Parental As Anything with me, Maggie Dent.